But first, I have a question for you. Would you consider yourself an optimist or a pessimist? Can you guess what I am? If you've been listening to this for any amount of time or know me, you would probably guess that I consider myself an optimist. And you know what? I like being an optimist. I don't know. It just makes life kind of fun. But in every family, I think there are a combination of optimists and pessimists. And this was God's design to sort of keep us balanced. Don't you think so? So you can probably guess that Wes is a little more of a pessimist, or as he would say, a realist. That's what pessimists call themselves, realists. And they call us optimists, idealist, which I, I agree. I'm pretty much idealist. I like looking at the world and um, anticipating the ideal situation will happen. I can't think of how many times I've said, oh, it's going to be great. And everyone around me kind of chuckles like, you're an idiot. <laughs> Not really, but it's true. I don't always anticipate the things that could go wrong in my plans. That's part of being an optimist, I guess. This is especially true about time. So many times I've been like, oh, we're going to do this cool thing and it's only going to take an hour. Three days later, I'm still working on it. Um, my kids have been dragged into many projects that way. And many other times I've come up with a plan and Wes has really helped me by thinking of the things that could go wrong. And I'm like, oh yeah, I never thought of that. I need to adjust this plan. This being an optimist or pessimist is inherited if it's a genetic trait. But I think everyone in our family would agree that it's split right down the middle for us. We have four kids and I would say two of them are optimists and two are pessimists. Now I know my kids listen to this podcast, so I wonder if they, I wonder if we would all agree about who's an optimist and who's a pessimist. Here's my take on it. Wes and Jess are the optimists and Sophie and Kate are the pessimists or realists. I know pessimist sounds kind of negative. It doesn't have to be negative. It just means they anticipate what could, what could go wrong and the optimists anticipate what could go right. I mean, I think that that's how I think about it anyway, but it's definitely true. Sophie and Kate, Sophie and Kate are the ones who anticipate what could go wrong. And Wes and Jess are with me and going, oh, it's going to be awesome. Everything's going to go right. And maybe don't consider all the ways it could go wrong, which is kind of interesting. I especially think of when I try to think of an example of that, the one that comes to mind is when we were considering doing foster care. I may have told this story before. But anyway, I don't think I did in relation to this. But I think of Sophie because um, when they had told me when the training was for doing foster care. And so I got off the phone and I sat down. All the kids were at the table doing homeschooling. And I said, hey, guys, that was the lady from social services. And just found out when dad and I will go in to start this training. What do you think? What do you think of us doing foster care? And Wes and Jess immediately were like, oh, yeah, awesome. It's going to be so fun. That'll be so cool. And Kate was a little too young to kind of be involved in the conversation. She was probably four and a half when that happened, five, four and a half, five years old. But Sophie launched into this monologue of all the things that could go wrong. Where are they going to sit in the car? Where are they going to sleep? in our house. I'm not going to have my bedroom anymore. I'm going to have to give up my bedroom and all these things that she thought of. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's true. Where are they going to sit in the car? I didn't think about that. Um, 
But she just, you know, just went off on all of these things that could happen, burst into tears and ran up to her room. And, <laughs> and Jess and Wes weren't really bothered by the whole situation. Well, she did, to her credit, she did come downstairs after a few minutes. And she said, I thought about it and I, I'm okay with it. I'm okay. And so she agreed to do foster care having considered all of these things that would make it very hard for her, where the rest of us agreed to do foster care because we just looked at the things that were positive, that it would be fun to have little kids in our house and it's all going to be great. So really, she had weighed that decision more heavily. So it was kind of more impressive that she agreed to do it because we did ask all of our kids um, before we did foster care. We said, this is a family decision and we all have to agree as a family that this is something we want to do. So we included them in that. And I remember while she was up there in her room, I was like, man, if she says she's not okay with this, we're not going to be able to do it. I can't go forward with doing something like this without everyone being in agreement. So I had been doing a lot of praying too. But anyway, optimists and pessimists. So what about you? Are you an optimist or a pessimist? And do you like that? Do you just... do? You, do all optimists and pessimists think they're secretly the better one? I don't know. I think we need both. But even as an optimist, the Bible tells me that I can't possibly anticipate all the ways that God will bless me or all the amazing things that God is able to do and will do. What if today you chose right now to anticipate that God is going to do great things? What would that look like? Now, I'm not talking about winning the lottery or a million dollars or whatever. This is not the prosperity gospel. I'm just talking about anticipating the future in faith that God will act for your good. What would that look like for you today? And how would that change how we act today? It's an interesting thing to think about. Now, why am I thinking about all this? Well, as I've said before, I'm doing the one-year Bible plan, the chronological Bible plan, and it has me thinking about another family. And as the events of their life unfolds, I was thinking whether they were optimists or pessimists. We don't know. But I bet either way, optimist or pessimist, I bet they could never have imagined what God would do. And that only God could do in their circumstances. And that led me to what I want to ponder today. And you are listening to the Pause and Ponder podcast. Thanks for joining me as we pause and ponder how God wants us to anticipate the future and what might actually help us anticipate the future in faith. Okay, so the family I was thinking of is Jacob's family. Since, like I said, I've been reading through the one-year Bible, of course, I'm in Genesis. And as we think about Jacob's family and his 12 sons, we usually think about Joseph. I mean, he's sort of the main character, being taken to Egypt and sold as a slave and then in prison and all, all the things that happened to him. And certainly we could wonder whether he was an optimist or a pessimist based on the information we have about them. But this time, as I was reading it through, I paused and thought about someone else's perspective in this drama. What about Benjamin? As far as I can tell, Benjamin never actually speaks in the story, so we have no record of what he said about these things or what he was thinking. But if we just consider his perspective, 
I think it's such a great example of God doing more than you could expect or imagine. And that's the passage that was running through my head as I, as I read through this account of Genesis once again. As Benjamin's story unfolded, the verses from Ephesians 3 were going through my head. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, immeasurably more, you can't measure, beyond measure, more than we all ask or imagine, according to his power that is work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That's from Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verses 20 and 21. And measurably more than we ask or imagine. That's the NIV version. The, the New King James says, exceedingly abundantly. So not just exceedingly and not just abundantly, but exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. That's what God can do to him who is able to do. So God can do exceedingly abundantly or immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine or think. That's a lot, right? And that's true for optimists and pessimists. So as an optimist, I can imagine a lot. I can imagine a lot of good things happening. And God can still do more than I can imagine. And certainly he did for Benjamin and Joseph and all of their family. But I guess the thing that struck me was this same God can work in our lives and our families like he did in Jacob's family. Whether we're optimists or pessimists by nature, we can look at what God did in Benjamin's family and anticipate in faith that God is working out a plan in our lives as well. So Benjamin, when you look at the whole story of Jacob's family, but focus on Benjamin's role in it, I don't know. It's just kind of different. Usually, of course, we focus on Joseph's role. And this is in Genesis, you know, 42 to 46 is the part of the story that I'm focusing on. If you want to go read it for yourself or reread it after hearing this and look at Benjamin as well. But Benjamin, Benjamin, who's told that his brother has been killed, even though actually he was sold into slavery. Benjamin grieved his brother's death. And then 22 years go by. 22 years. That's how long Joseph was in Egypt before the events unfold where the brothers go to Egypt to get grain. So for 22 years, Benjamin is at home and is living with the loss of his brother. And then they go through a two-year famine because it's two years into the famine um, before the brothers go to Egypt to get grain. You know, I think we have a unique perspective now on what it's like to live through two years of hardship for an entire country and really for the entire known world at that time. Don't you think we have a better understanding of what it would be like to live through that and what we would anticipate in the future after two years of hardship? And that hardship had become personal for Jacob's family, for Benjamin, because they don't have any food. They're desperate. And this is why they're going to send the other brothers, not Benjamin, but the 10 other brothers on a dangerous mission to travel to Egypt to try to find grain. And you know what I see when I look at this whole story? And it's interesting to read it, you know, over just one or two days, is you could see a lot of things going wrong for this family 
or over and over, God doing more than they expected or imagined. Depending on your perspective, you could just look at, wow, man, that was really hard. They went through so many hard things. That is true. But also you could look at, wow, look at how God did more than they would have ever imagined him doing in these difficult circumstances. Was Benjamin an optimist or a pessimist? I don't really know, but it's interesting to think about what was he anticipating God doing as the circumstances unfold. It's interesting when it starts to get interesting for Benjamin anyway, when his brothers return with the grain, but Simeon has been put in jail. And the only way to get him out of jail is for Benjamin himself to go to Egypt. I wonder if he was like, hey, dad, I'll go. I, I'm brave. I'm going to go. And Jacob said, no, we don't know. He doesn't say that. But his brother is in trouble. His brother is not dead. His brother is in trouble. And the only solution is for him to go. So I wonder what he thought of that because he doesn't go right away, which I think is also interesting. They eat all the grain they have and they wait till they're desperate again. And then Jacob says, all right, you might as well go. So then I think again, what was Benjamin thinking? What was he anticipating? I wonder if he was an optimist or a pessimist as he was riding on a donkey headed with his brothers to Egypt, where his other brother had been put in jail. If he was a pessimist, he was thinking, we're all going to be killed. <laughs> we're going to go there. We're going to be either put in jail or killed. And if he was an optimist, he was probably thinking, best scenario, we get Simeon out of jail and we are able to buy grain and go home. That, oh Lord, that would be the answer to our prayers. That's the best we can hope for. So they go. And as they're going, not only is Simeon in jail, but they have the problem about looking like they stole the grain because the money had been in their sacks. When they opened their sacks on the way home, there was the money that they had paid for the grain. So it looked like they'd taken the grain and not paid for it. So they're going back full of dread. I imagine the other brothers were anticipating the worst, that they're going to get to Egypt and be accused of being robbers. So what were they hoping for? What were they even praying for? I guess mercy or just forgetfulness or that they could, would be able to keep this secret that they got the money? That would have been considered answers to their prayers if no one ever knew they'd taken the money. Or just that they would be treated with mercy and be able to give the money back. That would be the answer to their prayers. You know, it really makes you think, what are you praying for? And how limited is our vision of what we're praying for and what God could do? Well, of course, they get there and they're told to go to Joseph's house, but they don't know for what. And they actually, it says they're anticipating being assaulted, that they'll like be beat up, I guess, or put in jail. They think they've been called to Joseph's house because they've been found out about the money. Think about this for a second. They are anticipating judgment, but what they get is a feast and no debt. What kind of picture is that? They anticipate judgment and punishment, but they get a feast and their debt has been paid. They go in and explain to the steward about the money and he says, hey, don't worry about it. That, that money must be from God or something because we have the money for the grain. You have no debt. Wow, that is more than they anticipated or expected. They expected the worst and God blessed them beyond what they could imagine.
Instead of punishment, their debt has been paid. You know, I bet they were saying, hey, look, we brought the money. We want to pay for it. And the guy was like, hey, no need. And not only that, here's your brother, Simeon, set free. What a relief. Have you ever had this happen where God blesses you and you thank him and rejoice and then he blesses you even more? Like they were thankful that they weren't going to jail for being robbers and then they're blessed again when Simeon is released. But that's how good our God is. You know, he could have just rescued us from hell by the skin of our teeth, just made us lowly servants like angels or left us on our own here on earth, but then we get to heaven eventually. But that's not what he did. He did so much more than that. He made us part of his family. He comes and dwells with us, and he gives us power for sins to be conquered in our lives right now. He guides, comforts, and fills us up so that we are content, joyful, peaceful, and grateful. Or at least, he makes it possible. God makes it possible, no matter what we're experiencing right now, for us to be content, joyful, peaceful, and grateful. That is so much more than just being rescued from hell. Even though I'm also grateful we're rescued from hell. And I found this to be true in my circumstances too, and in my prayer life. I pray for one thing, and God's answer is blessing beyond what I even asked for. And sometimes, like Ben, it can seem worse first. And I wonder if, if Benjamin thought, why is God allowing this? This can't be good. I'm headed to a country where they put my brother in jail. And they think my other brothers are robbers, and now I have to go with them. Is that what he thought while he was plodding along on his way into Egypt? I'm headed towards complete destruction? Was he thinking, just get through this. Just do your best to stay alive. Well, I think if we learn from his example, we would see that every difficult circumstance is an opportunity for God to do more than we can imagine. Let me say that again. For us, every difficult circumstance is an opportunity for God to do more than we can even imagine or pray for. Don't forget it was Jesus who said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So the story goes on. They come into Joseph's house and they get their feet washed and they feed their animals and they're prepared to present Joseph with a gift. Really, it's more like a bribe. They want to win his favor. But they have the meal and Joseph says, to Benjamin, specifically, Benjamin, who has never been there before, Joseph, who he doesn't know is his brother, the, this leader of Egypt, singles him out and says, God be gracious to you, my son. Now, what, was, what would the optimist be thinking at this point? What are they anticipating? I think they probably were just hoping to purchase grain and all go back home together, that that would be a huge answer to their prayers. I doubt Benjamin expected to receive more than his brothers at the feast, and he's given five times more than anyone else. That was more than he expected, I'm sure. The next morning, they go home with lots of grain. Their prayers have been answered, and yet they get surrounded by soldiers who accuse them of stealing again, and they're offended. And then they find the cup in Benjamin's bag, and I can just see this. Can't you just see it like a bad film, the camera zooming in on the cup, and, you know, dun, 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 and then switching to Benjamin's face. 
and that look of shock and horror on his face. I can just feel he would be like nauseous and dizzy at the same time. How can this be? What was he expecting in that moment? What, what do you think his prayers were in that moment? Oh, Lord, help me. What's the best scenario he could imagine when they find this Egyptian leader's silver cup in his bag? Man, what a roller coaster. They're shown mercy, their prayers are answered, and now this. From the heights of life is awesome to this, to the, this is the worst day of my life. As they were headed back to Egypt, surrounded by soldiers, I wonder what Benjamin was praying. I wonder what the other brothers were praying, praying. but specifically Benjamin. Was he remembering how God had answered their prayers just, just a day before, more than they expected? That they didn't just get grain, they got Simeon back, they got a feast? Was he remembering that he was given five times as much as anyone else at the feast? Did he have faith that God again would do more than they expected? Or was he thinking, I'm done for? How on earth did that silver cup get in my bag? Why did this happen to me? I mean, for sure, these are super difficult circumstances and seem like an impossible situation. But I wonder if he had faith or fear in it. Well, you know the story. They go back. Judah offers to take Benjamin's place. Joseph sends everybody out of the room and then the impossible. Not, okay, fine, you can buy grain, get out of here. Not, okay, I'll take Judah and the rest of you can go. Not even you can all go. No, instead, the unimaginable. I am your brother. We are family. I think it's pretty safe to say none of them, including Benjamin, ever imagined this kind of blessing in their life. And that brings me back to the verse that I thought of with this passage as I read this story and the unfolding of Joseph revealing that he's their brother. God can do more than we would ever ask or even imagine. What a great example of that. Benjamin and Joseph hug and both weep. And that's the only record we have of Benjamin saying anything is this weeping, weeping in gratitude and in joy just overcome with emotion. That's his response when God does more than he ever imagined. And so, sorry if I rambled a little bit going through, there are a lot of events in this, in the life of this family, but just think about Benjamin and the injustice or, and the sorrow, the separation that lasted for 22 years and could only be made right by God. Who keeps hoping for 22 years that God is going to do more than we could ask or imagine? Well, we should, because we have this example. I wonder how many times Benjamin thought the story was over. When Joseph was killed, did he think that was the end of the story? Or when a two-year famine hit their, their country and the whole world, and they, they didn't have any food in their family, did he think that was going to be the end of the story? Or when that silver bag was pulled out of his bag, did he think, that is it, I'm done. This is the end of my story. I'm going to be killed. But it wasn't the end of the story. And for each of us, we need to hold on to that and let God turn the page 
there is another chapter in your story too. You know, a reading skill we learn in school is to anticipate what will happen next in the story. And often, as a teacher or a mom, I would ask, what do you think will happen next? Keeps kids engaged, and it stirs up the imagination, thinking of all the possibilities. And isn't it the sign of a good story when the next chapter surprises us? It's actually a better story when there are twists in the plot. Well, as we anticipate the next chapter in our lives, whatever it might be, we can remember Benjamin. And we can know for sure, no matter what it looks like, that God is good. He is holy and righteous, and he loves you. He isn't going to just rescue you by the skin of your teeth so that you're barely holding on. No matter what happens next, optimist or pessimist, he is able to do far more than we could ever ask or imagine. In every circumstance, he calls you family. And that is the greatest blessing of all. who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Till next time.